Today's Bible passage comes from Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 18. You can follow along in the screen above um, on your phone or on your Bible. This is the word of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself would provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is called on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Amen. This is the word of God. At this time, we have Pastor John giving our word today, so can we just welcome him onto a stage? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's weird being introduced because we never really did this until a couple months ago when Rala began to introduce the speakers, <laughs> ruined everything for us. <laughs> uh, good to see all of you. Um, it's been a while. Um, perhaps for you, it's not been a while since you only see me once a week or once every other week anyway. But for me, I've had some transforming moments in my life, especially with the mission trip that I went on on Ivory Coast. And I wanted to share with you this morning a message that really convicted me and challenged me. Um, perhaps it will challenge you as well. And it is a perplexing, challenging passage, Genesis 22. One when God asked Abraham to sacrifice everything to him. Isaac, that was everything to him. And God says, I want you to surrender everything to me. Uh, that is a very difficult passage to read, let alone apply to our lives. But I wanted to share with you what I've been convicted and how it's challenged, especially tying in with some of my experiences and stories and what God has shown us in the mission trip at Ivory Coast. So will you bow your heads with me and pray one more time as we invite the Spirit to come join us. Lord, we thank you. You are an amazing God. 
In moments when we ask of you, you show up. In moments when we feel like we don't even need you, you still show up and you are with us. We thank you that you are God of Abraham and you are still God of us. Still watching out, challenging us, moving us, redirecting us and transforming our lives. So Lord, may your spirit move us today. May you speak through this passage and be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this year, um, I finally got to go to Ivory Coast. And I say finally because Ivory Coast is one mission field that our church, New Mercy, before the beginning of New Mercy, when we were at Hope Days, uh, we had a partnership with. So I believe this year, the missionary there at Ivory Coast was telling me that this is the 13th year, 13th year in which we've been in relationship and working with them and doing God's work there. And I know Charles, Melissa, many of you here, Pastor Josh included, have gone back numerous times. And among the pastoral staff, everyone's gone at least once except me. And I don't know why. I just felt tugged to go to different places every year. So I went. But this year, the time, the schedule in which I had available, the only mission trip that was going to happen was Ivory Coast. So I said, why not? Really didn't have much expectations. I was excited. I was anxious. But I didn't really know exactly what to desire or pray for from the Lord. Perhaps it's because I don't know anything really about Ivory Coast because I've never been. But perhaps because I just know maybe too much. Because 12 years of you guys sharing your story with me and what happens there in Ivory Coast has almost made me feel like, you know what, I know what happens there. But it's always different once you go. It took us this year many delays because on the night we were supposed to leave from Newark, what's supposed to be actually the fastest uh, uh, traveling time to get there because now they made a direct flight and we happened to get a one layover flight with Togo, which was two countries over. We had a seven-hour delay at Newark which made us miss the one uh, plane, transfer plane, that happens once a day from Togo to Ivory Coast. So we missed that flight. So we had to stay overnight at Togo with over 20 large bags of mission-related stuff, along with our stuff, with being stuck in a land that we never intended to be, nor do we speak the language, nor any one of us been there. You know, Togo, sure, why not? (laughs) We embraced it much as we could. We stayed overnight. And finally, the next day, we got to Ivory Coast. Over 30 hours of travel time, we arrived, and we already missed a half day, and now we missed a full day because the team that we were supposed to meet with Korea and the native Ivory Coast team had already left to the mission field. So we came to the church base camp in Abidjan, and we had to stay there another night missing almost two days' worth of mission ministry work in, what, 12, 13 days of mission trip. So we all, although physically were rejuvenated by resting and going and resting again and being fed really well, there were parts of us that were really anxious to see what God is doing in this land of Ivory Coast, West Africa. We finally get there in the morning, and things are already moving. There's a medical ministry going on on the side, passing out medicine, and it's 
teamed up with the native Ivory Coast Korean church that we serve there, the members of that church, along with their kids, and then a team from Korea that joined us. And to them, they shared, when the U.S. team arrived, it felt like you guys were Avengers. You guys came with big bags, T-shirts, and, you know, medicine, and you came to rescue us. Although how we felt was the exact opposite. (laughs) We felt like we were two days late. We had nothing to offer. You know, uh, we were half of the team never been there. And we're in now in a rural village, not knowing exactly what to expect or what to do. So we begin the Ivory Coast missions. And that night, God spoke to all of us by showing Literally showing us what worship is like. Not here in this mundane Bergen County Presbyterian Church where we get up on cue by the worship director. We clap, maybe, if we feel like it. (laughs) As one of our elder, David Kuhn at Edgewater, explains, we worship in our hearts. We clap and dance in our hearts. But there, they literally dance. They literally clap. At the beat of a drum, boom, one beat. Everybody gets up without cue. Kids and adults, grandparents, it does not matter. They all get up and they start dancing. And I do not know how they dance with such rhythm and beat. It must be in their DNA because five, six-year-olds get up and they literally dance and beat. And we're trying to copy and we just look like clumsy, you know, Americans trying to dance and sing and having no idea what is going on. As our bodies moving with the spirit, singing and worship. And circling around in the middle, you know, in just big circle in Congo line. And just dancing, singing the same lines over and over again. And there's something so refreshing about simple nature in which Ivory Coast natives sing and praise and worship. But in the midst of amazing things that God is doing, all of a sudden, a man falls to the ground. There are many who fall being moved by the Spirit. We help them out. We pray for them. We listen to them. And we have ministry time with them. But this man fell and did not get up. So in panic mode, all of a sudden, our prayer team starts praying. We start checking his pulse. And we realize there's something wrong with this man. So we quickly take him to the hospital. And we find out a couple hours later that the doctor's realized that it was a sudden heart attack, and he passed away. So imagine just the, the natives there who've known him, and he was actually the local pastor who was taking care of the local church in which we were doing ministry with. Then imagine what we're feeling. We're perplexed. We're confused, we're frustrated, we're angry. Some of us are praying for a miracle. God, will you make the dead rise? God, there's no way that this happened. Perhaps there's something more hopeful tomorrow. Some of us are crying and devastated and do not know what to think or how to react. We're faced with the morning after where we, as a group, along with the missionary, had to go and tell the wife of the pastor, Your husband had passed. And the grieving begins. Crying, screaming, yelling. As our team 
wraps up our things and finish up ministry and start heading back to our base camp. You know, it makes you wonder, as I've been on over almost 20 mission trips, there's always a moment in the mission trip where I feel this tug of war. Part of me that feels so hopeful, so joyful. God, you are real. You are real here and you are real there in so many different ways. We experience God in a very amazing encounter with Him that moves me to the core. And then there's also a part of me that feels so hopeless. Poverty that I know after 12 days of ministry when I go away. I mean, it's going to continue when I was there. Poverty is there. The people that we serve in the slums who live on top of garbage, it's not like their financial situation is going to change just because I went and prayed for them. Kids were sick. Parents were sick. Don't get me wrong. Believe in the prayer of power. And there are stories that I'm holding back because I want to leave some with the mission team that I want to share. There were miraculous healings. Miracles that really happened. That were real. That were tangible. We got it on camera to prove. But the stories that I want to tell you today are one of a different kind. One of perplexity and confusion because, once again, a part of me that is so moved and so hopeful in what God is doing, and yet you feel so hopeless and helpless because you realize that we are so limited. You can't help but to hold on to God and say, God, I have no idea what just happened. Why did this pastor pass away? Why did our ministry time cut short and now we're all back? We don't even know what to pray for. In those moments, I ask myself this question. What can I do to make impact? Do I matter? Does our missions team and what we do for 10 days, 14 days, months, years, does it really matter in grand scheme of things? And then it suddenly turns into this question. Will God keep his promise? Is the God that we worship really one of care and comfort and love, powerful transformation that is real? And will he, the God I worship, will he keep his promise to these people and to us? You don't have to be on the mission field to have such experience or ask such questions, right? We have those moments in our lives. Can and will God keep His promise? His promise to protect us, provide for us, and answer us when we ask, seek, and knock. Because He said, do it and I will provide. Are you real? Will you keep your promise? And if we're to be honest, we do have our doubts and concerns, don't we? There are moments in our lives we answer to ourselves and we say, God can't be real. God does not keep his promises. Because how can all this poverty, how can all these evil things, how can our sin rule over nations? And how come we can't win over them every day? How come the effort and the finances and time and concern that we put in 
make just a small dent, or at least that's how we feel. And we begin to question God and say, God, is your promise real? But if I, if I, what if I go a step farther? What if it's not just a promise that God is not showing us and we're waiting? What if it's something that God ha- made it happen and we don't like it? But what if God gave us exactly what we wanted, exactly what we need at the moment that we wanted and needed and we feel so joy? Full and so satisfied. And then God says, I want that back. What if God provides exactly what you want, exactly what you need, and then years later, weeks later, God says to us, I actually want that very thing that I gave to you. The gift that I gave you, I want it back. How would you feel? Imagine for years, youth group, you asked your parents about this gift. I want this gift for my birthday. And for five years, your parents didn't give it to you. But on that fifth birthday of yours, God, you know, your parents said, here, I wanted to give to you. I know you've been waiting for this. And then your parents said, actually, I need that back. How would you feel? That very job that you got, you've been asking for, you've been dreaming of, God provides and says, I'm going to take that back. That very child that very gift, that very situation, the things of this world that we want, and God provides, and then he says, I want it back. That's exactly what happens in today's scripture, Genesis 22. A moment when you struggle and you're challenged by hope in God, at the same time, you feel so hopeless. Only 10 chapters back in Genesis 12, we see this character named Abraham in Genesis. God loves him. God chose him and promises him, through you and your descendants, I will save the entire nations to come. And he makes Abraham meet Sarah, beautiful princess. And they meet, they get married, they're in love. And God says, leave your homeland, Haran, and go up north. I have prepared for you a land of milk and honey. You will never hunger. And he goes, he says yes, he obeys, and God provides. And midst of all these years, there's this one thing that Sarah and Abraham want that they did not receive from the Lord, and that was a child of their own. God promised, through your descendants, I will give you a child. Don't worry. And the years and years go by, and imagine if you're Sarah and Abraham. You're now in your 70s, 80s. You've forfeited the idea of having a child because it's physically, medically impossible. And yet, just when they gave up hope, God shows up and says, you will have a child. You will be pregnant. And hence comes this beautiful child, Isaac. Imagine the, 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 the thought. Imagine the feeling of Abraham and Sarah. This one thing that you've wanted all your life that God said, wait, 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 wait. I will give it to you, but wait, 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 wait. And then he says, boom, here it is. One child. Imagine their relationship with this child. Oh, I'm sure they gave Isaac everything. Love, care, comfort, toys, donkeys, I don't know. Any kind of food you want. You want to go there? Sure, we'll go there. You want the servants to do this for you? Sure, have it. 
I'm sure at the heart of Abraham and Sarah, it poured out everything that they had to this child Isaac. To the point where Isaac became the number one in their life. And we get to chapter 22. Perhaps it's because this very reason, because Isaac has become the ultimate in their life. It says 20, in chapter 22, what do we read? It says, God tested Abraham. God tested. Not a coincidence. God tests Abraham, and it is a vicious, perhaps we can even say evil test. God, it's one thing if you gave me a jar of honey or a book or a car or a house or salary or a job, and you say, give this back up. Okay, fine. I will give it up. It's not that I have a choice, but I will do it. But a child? God shows up and tells Abraham, I want you to take your very son, Isaac. It says, the only son. God knowing how precious this child is to Abraham and Sarah. said, take Isaac and go to Moriah. And there I want you to build an altar and sacrifice. Literally, physically sacrifice. Burn Isaac. That Moriah journey of three days must have been heart-wrenching, devastating for Abraham. Imagine the, the most precious thing in your life, and God says, give this up. And three days you have to suffer. Finally, he gets to the mountain, and he tells the servants to stay behind, and he holds Isaac's hand. And I see this father just crying deep down inside, trying to hold back his tears. He brings Isaac, and God says, Put him on the altar and sacrifice him. I don't believe that Abraham did this because he has blind obedience. Oh, well, I guess God told me. I guess I got to do it. I don't think so. Because it was so precious. It was a life of his own very son. He puts before the Lord. You know, we all have our Moriah journey. Journeys in which we pray desperately for something in our life. And God provides. But sometimes, without reason, without us really understanding why. Perhaps it's because we prioritize it before God, but perhaps we don't know. God says, I want that very thing I gave to you back. How will you respond? When the very relationship that you thought was going to be for life, you love this man, you love this woman, and then it falls apart before your very eye. This child that you raised in a certain way, and you thought this child is going to fulfill my dream, and yet it does not happen and goes in the opposite direction of in which you wanted to live. The very job that you receive is taken away. The very relationships and friendships that you had, that you had full expectation of, and you put your full identity into and, and sacrificed so much to build this relationship gets broken apart. Then what? God gives the gift. Then if the gift is taken, can we trust God again? Can or will God keep his promise? 
That question constantly comes up in our lives, doesn't it? The future before us is uncertain, and we can't plan it. Bombings, war, poverty, acts of terror and violence, we may not see it here, but especially on mission fields, we see it, and you feel this hopelessness. And sometimes you feel like, God, you gave us this gift, this church, these missionary, these amazing gifts that you've given us. And we do great work. And then, why are you taking those gifts away? Or at least that's what it feels. The real meaning for us in our own journeys and struggles isn't found in speculating on the whys because ultimately we may not know. But what moves me and challenges me in this passage, Genesis 22, is the act of faith and trust in which Abraham moves. When God gives, he will give you abundantly. But what will we be like if God comes and says, that very thing I gave you, I need it back. God doesn't need it himself. I believe God asked because he's seen our hearts. He's seen how our lives have changed. And he knows deep down inside that you forfeiting this gift back again and surrendering everything to him will transform you. And hence, Abraham obeys in trust. Will we trust him even when our gifts are in jeopardy? Will we trust God even when our comfort, our financial situation, our joys, our gifts are in jeopardy? Will we still praise God and trust in the Lord? When our peace, joy, security, comfort, and health are in jeopardy, Will you still trust in the Lord? It is trust, not blind obedience, that binds Abraham to God. And this is something we learn from many Holocaust survivors, especially this 20th century Jewish theologian named Eliezer Berkovich. Berkovich writes this beautiful book titled, I just love the title, With God in Hell. This, the moment of Abraham. He is with God, but he's in hell. Because God is asking for the very thing he wants to hold on to and squeeze. He does not want to give up. And Berkovitz says in this book, with God in hell, he's questioning, how is it possible that so many Jews still worship God when the Nazi soldiers persecuted them and killed them? When they put them into gas chambers Why did they gather to say prayers and keep Sabbath or circumcise their children as a sign of the covenant even as the Nazi soldiers literally beat down their doors? Why did they keep blessing God as the Holy One, the King, the Savior, instead of hating and throwing away this God? As he puzzles over this question, Berkowitz turns to the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. What he discovers is the bottomless, gut-wrenching trust that holds Abraham together with God. 
And here's what Berkovich says about the unspeakable sacrifice that God asked of Abraham. He says, in this situation, I do not understand you. Your behavior violates our covenant, and yet still I trust in you because it is you. Because it is you and me. Because it is us. Almighty God, what you're asking of me is terrible. But I have known you. You have loved me. And I do love you. You are breaking your word to me. At least that's what it seems. And yet I trust in you. I trust you. What Berkowitz shows better than anyone I know is how intimate the relationship between God and Abraham already is. That Abraham, even though he is in hell, he's with God. Total radical trust. Total radical surrender. And on the last day of Mission Field at Ivory Coast, um, missionary who serves the church there, the pastor said, you know, tomorrow when we leave, soon as we wake up, 5.30 early morning prayer, which we did every morning, um, 6 o'clock breakfast, and by 6.30 we have to get into the bus and leave. Although our flight is actually in the afternoon. We're wondering, why do we have to go so early? Well, the day that we left Ivory Coast, it was a national holiday because uh, there were so many Muslims who live in Ivory Coast. And it's one of the holiest holidays in their faith called Eid al-Adha. And they celebrate Genesis 22 and the faith and the trust of Abraham. Although their version is a little bit different in the Quran, they believe that Abraham took Ishmael, not Isaac. But they celebrate the faith of Abraham And therefore, it also ends the marking of uh, their pilgrimage to Mecca. So all over the world, even in fact in our neighborhood here in Teaneck, there were thousands that gathered last week to celebrate this holiday. And what they do is they get lamb, sheep, or goat, whichever one is, you know, available around them. And they kill, they sacrifice, and they pray, and they feast as they share this meal together. So on the day that we were leaving... It was this holiday, beginning of this holiday. So all the major roads just get shut down in the morning sometime. And the pastor was telling us one time this missionary from France came, and it happened to leave on that day, and they got there a little bit late, and they shut off all the roads, so they had to take all their luggage and walk to the airport. And when I heard that, I was like, okay, everyone's getting up tomorrow, right? If you miss morning prayer, it's okay, but... Tomorrow you will get up on time because we will not be backpacking to, you know, to the airport. So we all got up, we get in the bus, and we start heading out. And even days before that last day, if you're driving around town, you saw these trucks with hundreds of goats, hundreds of goats just moving around town. And it's just weird feeling of like, wow, they literally still sacrifice this animal. And somebody in each family knows how to, you know, cut up and, and, and butcher the, the animal, and they sacrifice and they feast. And not that I was moved by the Muslim faith, but my point is that when I saw 
in this kind of culture, in this kind of tradition, in this kind of land where Christianity is just on the margin, perhaps even persecuted. When I saw the faith and the trust that these missionaries who serve their full time in our Lord, the same God that we trust in, it moved me. It made me think about this Genesis 22. And as I got into the plane and as we headed off to the U.S. with no delay, I was excited to go back home. But deep down inside, this Genesis 22 spoke to my heart. Why do these missionaries serve in this hopeless land where they pour in everything, their finances, their time, their effort, their energy, their family, they sacrifice and surrender all. They're not there because they have no other options. Many of them speak English. They have amazing education background. They have money. And yet they stay in that land to serve God and they surrender in radical ways. Why? Because I believe they really want to live this trust that Abraham had in the Lord. That even in their ministry, when God says, I will give you this gift, and at times I will pull back and take back, I will still say yes and serve you. And I end with this image. As I was meditating upon this passage on that plane, God gave me this image of, you know, Ivory Coast and many of the mission fields that we go to, I feel like they're on canoe, and they, they paddle into deep sea. And at times there's storms that come. There's fear, there's anxiety, but they have to trust in God. Then I think about our life here. Comparatively, we're on a yacht, on a lake, right? With the beach surrounding us, and we have fun. Perhaps nothing wrong with that. But even in that kind of life, I believe there are moments like this when God gives and takes away. And challenges us. When I take away, will you still trust me? Will you still trust in my goodness and my love and my grace? Will you pray with me? Church, let's bow our heads and pray as I invite the praise team to come up. Total radical trust. What does that look like in your life? I hope that you're not concluding here to think that we all have to become full-time missionaries and we have to, you know, constantly be in the, in the spiritual battlefields to experience God. We experience God right here. But our hearts, our lives, the decisions that we make, do we even welcome such radical trust in moments when God puts us in a difficult bind where we're full of hope and full of hopelessness, and God is pushing us. You know what? I want you to surrender your life. Everything, not portions, not parts. I want you to surrender all, especially that thing, that one thing that you are holding onto with your dear life. When that happens, will we still trust God? Will we trust in God even when the very gifts that he's given us are in jeopardy? So I want to just challenge our our church, New Mercy, this morning to just pray together with me. 
There's nothing wrong with comfort. There's nothing wrong with experiencing joyful things that God has given us. But some of us, we need to also prepare. And perhaps you're already in this season, the Moriah journey in your life, where the very thing that God's gifted you, God is asking back. And perhaps God is challenging you, some of us, to surrender that very thing that you're holding on to more than me. And if God's moving you, I hope that you can pray this morning. Let's ask God for faith of Abraham, the trust that he had in our Lord. That in our doubts and concerns that we may have, that we may not waver, but ultimately still hold on. So will you pray with me, church? Let us pray.